to the garden You gotta watch your back Well, I beg your pardon Walk the straight and narrow track What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hardcore Troubadour. My name is Brian Wallace. And my name is Tyler Short. And uh, we're doing another special episode this week. Mm -hmm. But one thing we didn't do last last week, and I realized as soon as we were done, I did not ask you a question. Mostly for the sake of I didn't want to make it all about us for the, you know, the sake of our guests being present. Uh How was Kieran's Christmas? Oh, dude. I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago now, um, but it was awesome. What did he get? <clears throat> he got several trucks. He got yes. a he got a collapsible tent. That's his favorite thing. Is like a like an indoor tent, like a indoor tent. tent, dude. Yeah, children love indoor tents. I yeah. loved my Batman indoor tent. I loved my yeah. Jurassic Park indoor tent. I'd set those things up, just playing them all day. Yeah, I mean, that's what. There's just taking shit in and out of the tent all day. And it came with this little like, you know, kit of like, you know, camping toys, including a a lantern that he can turn on and off and um, supposed to be like a little gas burner, but that like lights up and makes a little sound. And he like, will sit there and pretend like he's cooking, like, you know, out in front of the tent. It's, I mean, and it's, it's been a, it he tells you it's a big hit because it's been almost a month. Still set up. And he's still into it. And for a two-year-old, that's pretty significant. That um rocks. Yeah. And uh yeah, so those are the main things. He got a lot of like, you know, nice stuff. We got some like age appropriate puzzles that we really dig. And he also got some like I appreciated uh we got some like washable paint you know what i mean so i can kind of like let him run wild and if it gets all over the table it's not a big deal because it can clean up so yeah man he's been doing really well um thank you for asking he had a great christmas yeah i realized like the day after i was like oh i'm really curious about because i love like i live through children's christmas now (laughs) like i i'm pissed because now when i go to these when i go to my family christmases well my my mom's side of the family is really the one that bums me out because all the kids are older now mm-hmm. and all they're getting is like Fortnite gift cards and yeah gift cards to well one of them's getting gift cards to Harbor Freight which okay. is insane to me <laughs> that like that that's what one of my second cousins is like that's his thing now is tools okay um, good for yeah. him He's he's awesome. He's sick. Yeah. He he just got a job at uh, GE, so he's a he's a union man now. Hell yeah! Um, uh, like his uh, his dad and our grandpa and me. So it's it's nice. I love talking to him about like hating his boss. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but my my dad's side, all of my second cousins on that side are girls. Mm. Except there are a couple boys, but they're like too little to like be into toys that like I can remember having any fondness. Toys for. that you want to play want with. to play with them. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Got it. Um, one of them's getting there though. I think. Uh, I think next year he's gonna start like getting into like army men and stuff like that, and I can be like, y'all. <laughs> Hell yeah! 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's wild too. You know, like every every child is different, but you know, we're not raising Kieran in any kind of like particularly gendered way. You know, it's like we're not avoiding it, but we're also not trying to like push him to like these are boys' toys, these are girls' toys. We've like never had that conversation. Um, and he does like stuff like you know when he's with his older cousin who's a girl he likes playing dress up with her and she's got all this like fun costume jewelry and that but like if you just put him in a room and let him pick what he wants he is like such a boy he picks trucks he picks things he can shoot or throw or you know things like and it's just like we like so, what we like i mean that's the thing it, it's just a room <laughs> there's there's a combination of both nature and nurture in every human being you know what i mean like it's why you can explain like two kids who grew up in the exact same household with the same parents can end up so different yeah right like some of this shit is just you know programmed in us early on and that's not a bad thing but it's just we're all different that way um so yeah he's a <clears throat> he's very much a little boy at this stage in his life and likes all that kind of stuff and likes playing like <clears throat> dinosaur and monster and wants to like ride on my back and like if if Rachna's in the other room he'll like be like daddy let's scare mommy yes. and wants to like <laughs> get on my back and like creep around the corner um and it's because so, you know he can't that was way more of a whisper than he actually does he's like <laughs> you know, she hears us coming like a mile away, but like plays along and pretends like we scared her. And yeah. he just laughs so hard, man. It's great. That's um, amazing. He's at a, he's at a fun stage right now for sure. Um, yeah, man, I was, man, th no, you, the point you made though, about like, you know, living vicariously through like kids at Christmas, man, <clears throat> I used to really struggle with the holidays. Um, a lot of, you know, I didn't, I wasn't conscious of this until, you know, maybe a few years ago, but like a lot of some of the most like traumatic shit from my like childhood, teenage years, et cetera, happened over the holidays. So I would kind of always have this, like, even if I was like doing something fun, you know, and it's like good food and all that stuff, I would have this kind of like what the fuck's about to happen like one of my family members yeah. is gonna do something outrageous Explode. that's yeah. what you know the um the like the the christmas episode in the second season of the bear um, yeah even though uh, thankfully <laughs> nobody's ever driven a car into the house mm -hmm. there were definitely like more than a few incidences where like somebody had to go to the hospital or somebody drank too much and but you know any all all sorts of things and it has been just such a, a nice thing for um, these past couple of years to be like, oh, I'm like genuinely enjoying the the time because of my son. Um, mm -hmm. So that's been really, really nice for you. Yeah, it has been right. That's like, good. yeah. So I no longer like dread, you know, oh, God, this time of year. Um and yeah, you know, that's to say, it wasn't like I was actively dreading it, but it was definitely, I would realize I was like very tense, you know, mm -hmm. around holiday gatherings. Um, and I feel like I've been able to let some of that go more recently. So um, it also helps that I only spend the holidays with Rutchner's family and nobody from my own. So there's that yeah. too. Uh, they're, they're loud, but very fun and very loving. So 
Um, no, no, no drama over there so far. So, yeah. That's awesome. I love that for you, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. The holidays are great. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed. I had, uh, I had just nothing but wonderful memories. That's awesome. Growing up around the holidays, and even if there were tense things going on, that I was shielded from them. Yeah. And Dude, as there was point. Be. Yeah, there was points as an adult when I realized I was like, oh, my grandma like hates some of the people in my family, and like, there's nothing we can do. <laughs> right except for wait for her to not be here <laughs> and what do you know once she's not around anymore there no dramas about this sometimes that's what it takes you know so, i hear that god bless my dad for shielding me from that shit yeah child. yeah He's, he is just amazing that rules um is it still really fucking cold there man uh, it is warming up today. I asked uh, the Alexa when I got up this morning what the temperature was, and she was like 22 degrees, and I was like, oh, warming up, I see. Dude, just anybody that knows Tyler, just think about this contradiction of how much of a... <laughs> Of a you know ludite he did he is in his day to day life the flip phone the iPod all those things and yet he has an Alexa equipped household. Yeah, they're in every room. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is not, you are a you are a man of complex layers, my friend. Half of them speak in Australian accents, <laughs> and it's awesome. <laughs> oh, you can set them however you want them. Apparently, That's Ashton great. did it. Okay. But see, so oh, it, I mean, right? yeah, I mean, she she sets it up. I uh, I just talk to them. Great. So Bezos is definitely listening in on everything that happens, right? He's per not personally be psyched on <laughs> what he hears. He's clearly but... not threatened enough to take action. No, yet, and that's yet, yet. And that's how I know that I can't do anything to affect any real change in this world. <laughs> I, that's how i know how truly insignificant dude, everything i'm saying and doing is, dude at my old job you know every once in a while when we'd get like a we do a fundraiser right or something and we'd get like a a fat donation from you know like a fucking wall street dude or whatever and it would just be on the one hand i'm like yep shit like this is what pays my salary at a nonprofit organization and then i'd also be like and the status quo is clearly not threatened by what we do because yeah. they're willing to, you know, use some of their tax write-offs to help us do it. Um, this is why we exist is because they fund us and we exist because of them. Yeah, very, very much. The whole, the nonprofit industrial complex was, you know, and like I said, shit's complicated, right? There's still some really good life-changing work that happens as a result of that, but at much more micro individual levels in terms of like actually changing a system. No, like if, if we ever got close to that, all of a sudden that funding it, would- Yeah, that would dry up pretty quick. Dry yeah. Up. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but if, hey, if there's, you know, 10 more kids from the South Bronx get a scholarship or whatever, that's not threatening your kid, you mm -hmm. know, Mr. So you're like, oh, look, and- let me take a picture and I'm all happy. But if all of a sudden it was, um, you're not getting something that you think you deserve, you know, because folks in communities like that are claiming what's theirs. Yeah. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be so generous with the checks anymore, but, um, neoliberalism is a bitch, man, dude, hundred percent. Very cool. Um,
<laughs> Very cool. Hey, speaking of neoliberalism, um, every, everything all at once, policing, addiction, the war on drugs, political corruption, everything you could possibly imagine. Tyler, what are what are we going to be talking about in, in these special episodes? We are two white dudes talking about the wire on a podcast that's never happened once. Never happened before. Never. Um, and I know that you're looking, listeners, for the insights from two middle-aged white men, not from Baltimore, about um, what Baltimore. happened on this show. Balmer. Um, yeah. Some, you know, we could have a whole episode just talking about the accents, but... Um, and how incredible McNulty's accent is being dude, a British man. How many, I mean, three of the most major characters, not Americans, right? We're talking McNulty, Stringer, and Carchetti. Um, God, I forget he's British too. He's Irish. Irish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, he'd be pissed but, off about that. Yeah. But Sorry, either, Lord Baelish. <laughs> all three, like all three, you would have never fucking. I'm still. It's like I'm still thrown off when I hear them speak in their normal speaking voices, mm. the the actors, rather than you know how they spoke on the wire. Um, so yeah, but there's a. We'll we'll get into a little bit like the the format for this, but the the reason why we decided to do this is not just because, the wire is fucking you know, prestige television li yeah. lived up to the hype, man. You know, like I, I think one oh, of those yeah. things that's been over talked about over and over again, but Tyler and I both agreed, like, as we've revisited, we've been like, there's never been anything like it. Um, I watched it in 2017, I think. Was that your first I've time watching it? I've never seen it before. It? Yeah. I watched it in 2017. Oh, fascinating. Um, yeah. I had the luck of getting on the train pretty early. Um, and that is only because I, when it, in 2002, when it first came out, I was living in a dorm and having like never had cable in my life, the dorm had fucking HBO. Fuck yeah. um, and so we like several people, we had like a Sunday night ritual. Dude, like, that sounds amazing. Dude, we'd watch, cause I, th at the time it's like, you could see, we would watch the Ali G show. Excellent. <laughs> um, Deaf Poetry Jam and The Wire that would like all come on back to back. And then that's and, so college. And then after that was over with, I would, you know, like be like, why did I fucking watch TV for the last couple hours instead of doing this hundred pages of reading I was supposed to do, but whatever. It was awesome. Um, and, you know, other stuff that we'll talk about too. So for me, I was able, I watched along and you know, we're going to divide this into two parts so that it doesn't get too long. But like once we made it to the fourth season where a lot of the focus shifts to schools, I was a teacher. Like I was in my second year of teaching. And so I felt like, um, you know, David Simon saw you <laughs> in, in, in some ways. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the reasons we decided to talk about this is because um, our friend Steve Earle is a. You know, recurring character, recurring character, and one who doesn't have a ton of screen time, but has some like very important screen time, major um, impact. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there is, as as always, a Steve Earl connection here. Yes, that's what we do here. I um, 
I got into it in 2017 via we we were moving out of our house that we were living in with three of Ashton's well two of Ashton's girlfriends and a girl who Ashton got in a violent fist fight with um while I was at work the last week we lived there <laughs> wow um was legend the, legendary shit was the move planned before that or was the yes, fist we fight were not okay. we were not re-signing our lease <clears throat> and um this girl had two kittens who she was refusing to get their shots and take them to um, the vet to what? get them checked up. And they were starting to shit everywhere um, because they were definitely not healthy mm. completely. They were sick. Um, and one day Ashton had had enough. She took them to the vet and it cost her 80 bucks. And when our roommate got home, she was informed that she owed Ashton $80 and um, she was a real, uh, a real cunt about it. <laughs> and uh, it ended in a ferocious girl fight in the living room and uh, dining room of our house in which a chair was thrown. Holy shit. Uh, uh, some biting and choking occurred Dude. <laughs> and the cops were called to our house Um uh, no one was arrested. Was, but, is it uh, kosher for you to be talking about this? Well, what I got to know: Are you? Are opinion. you? No charges were filed. Are you still? Is do you still ever see the other person from the fight? I like, is we, she a presence in Louisville? Ross paths at bars and parties, but luckily no further. Okay, altercations have transpired, but there was a period of time where it would have been on on site, and. Uh, yeah, I couldn't have yeah. been more proud. <laughs> it was Man. it was a good reason to fight somebody. I mean, of, of course. I mean, in in a, in addition to animal abuse, then yeah. you, you couple that with like, you know, the money but stuff and that living situation ending. Considering we moved in with my dad, who had no internet, much like me, mm -hmm. he is a luddite of a certain shade. And uh, we had no internet until we got internet installed there. So we were in between doing that, we were restricted to just DVDs. And I got tattooed around that time. My buddy Nate, who I want to have on here, uh, who played guitar in Rattletooth, who kind of, he's the reason I got into Steve Earle really was because mm -hmm. of him listening to Guitar Town while he was tattooing me. Um, he was like, well, I've got the wire on DVD. You want to borrow it? We watched every episode twice because, honestly, didn't understand them that much after one viewing. There's a lot of characters and a lot going on. Dense. <laughs> yeah. Dense material. Many layers. Yeah. And it took a while to just get like, what are they even fucking talking about? Everything right is slang. Like, it's all, like, the vernacular in the show is uh, very hard to get the hang of at first. Well, because it's a, there's a combination of Baltimoreese, cop speak, like, you know, just yep. a, a lot of stuff that, that only, like, certain folks would be totally privy to. I mean, that's, I'm, the, the, you know, the, the wires why I know what Baltimore lake trout is, which is neither from a lake nor is actually trout. Um, 
but there you go. Like these are, these are important things. And speaking of man, you know, DVDs were and are the shit. I have all five seasons of the wire on DVD and in this house right now, no way to play them, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but they're sitting in a box. And many times when we've been clean, Russian has been like, are you going to keep these? And I'm like, keeping that, keeping my New York hardcore documentary. You know, keep the grid can like, go down one day, man. Yeah, man. And it's be nice to be able to watch the wire. Yeah. Well, again, like I said, I, I don't even have like an external drive I can put on a laptop right now. Um, you can sort yeah, that out when, in, in we'll the sort it out. It's worth we'll sort that out in the class. But it's, you can find it, an Xbox. Dude, it's the same to me, though. It's it's a very similar to like if there's a record I fucking love even if I rarely actually listen to the vinyl and mostly stream it, I gotta have yeah. the physical. I gotta have it. And that's how I felt about the wire. Um, yeah. But I, I definitely wore those DVDs out for a while too. Cause I had a few periods in the interim where I was also like, you know, no internet, no streaming, no, no TV, yeah. things like that. And had a bulky old laptop that had a DVD drive in it. And so I would just like, sit on my bed and watch it. it fucking ruled hell yeah um so yeah you want to start uh getting into this i uh we we're doing this in a different way than just like doing a wire recap we each picked 10 characters mm -hmm. to talk about and through those 10 characters we're going to talk about how these stories um for lack of a better term quentin tarantino them their way amongst each other um, and, uh, we didn't want to just spend three hours talking about McNulty and Omar. Yeah. So we took them off the table as choices. So we will talk Omar, we will talk McNulty, but we're going to talk about them through the lens. We also didn't pick Stringer. That was, mm -hmm. you couldn't pick the coolest character. That was, that was just not going to be fucking fair. Um, so Omar and Stringer were unavailable, but, um. The way we've got it mapped out, we'll only talk about the characters as they occur, and then some of them go away. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've got it broken down into seasons, and I've got titles for each season. And season one is I'm calling Cops and Hoppers. Cops and Hoppers. Cops That's and fair. Hoppers. And uh, I've got it kind of broken down, so we'll talk about like the cops. We'll talk about the criminals in quotes i don't know if i would even consider some of them <clears throat> criminals some of them seem to be just doing what they have to do to live but uh first up on on the list i've got is let's talk about d'angelo okay let's talk about d'angelo 23 years old is how old lawrence gillard is is supposed to be he is 33 years old <laughs> I was realizing that as I was starting to like look into this, I was like, wait a second. How fucking old is D'Angelo Barksdale even supposed to be right here? And then I had to look up how old was this actor at this point? Because I was thinking about it and I was like, because characters like Wallace and Bodie and Poot are literal children. Children, yeah, like 13, 14 years old at the time. And I was like, his age has got to be way off because he does not look. 23 years old at all like when i was starting to read in because i've never even thought about how old d'angelo was supposed to be in this mm -hmm. which i guess puts 
things a little bit. There is one character you really do find out exactly how young they are at one point later. Um, but uh, but yeah, D'Angelo, you know, opens the he's he's such a central character in how the story starts because he is getting off mm -hmm. for a murder that he definitely fucking did. <clears throat> and yes. this whole thing puts him in the sights because a witness gets killed. Mm -hmm. And I, I think D'Angelo's story in the first season is really emblematic of setting the, I guess, like the tone for what will then happen to like three other characters. Well, because there's he was he was ambivalent about all of this from the start. Yeah. Right. And 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 you find out later, especially like not just being a member of the crew, but being a Barksdale, right? Being Avon's nephew. He has pressure on him from more than just the streets. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it he doesn't comes directly... just have to be he doesn't just have to be in the game. He's going to inherit the game. Right. At some point, he is expected to be a successor in this um, in this monarchy, <laughs> in this in this royal family that has been existing for for so long without anybody even noticing. And I love that that the the show digs into this this idea that there could be like a criminal organization running so well. And blending in so well into just the the everyday crimes of dealing and trafficking that you don't realize all of these things are actually fucking connected. Well, and that and that cops would have to like go rogue and circumvent the chain of command to even draw attention. Yeah. To what they know is going because on. Because right? they're not there to actually solve these crimes. Right. They're just there to protect property and keep people in line when things mm -hmm. get out of control. And I think uh, like the first season of The Wire does such a good job. I, I, at one point, I was thinking we might like d dig deeper into The Wire doing this. And I was like a few like I want to say like the first like couple months of us doing this podcast, I started rewatching The Wire and writing like more detailed notes. And I looked at some of the detailed notes I wrote about like writing or watching like the first like I think eight episodes of the first season. And I wrote, Jesus Christ, cops are so stupid. So many times <laughs> in, yeah. in talking about this, because like just how often it's like, Jesus, they really don't fucking get it and have such little understanding about how the world works or how their city even works that um, I don't know. I just really I really think D'Angelo is such a, a, a strong character like he's just a, like a reluctant dad. He wants nothing to do with being a dad either. Mm -hmm. Like he's um, there's a there's a really great James McMurtry song um, called "Where's Johnny," and D'Angelo kind of reminds me of this 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 character that James McMurtry writes about in "Where's Johnny," where it's just a guy who just really just doesn't fit in and just mm -hmm. isn't supposed to do what the world expects of him to do what his family, what his parents and what, uh, I guess society expects of you. Um, and, uh, it just, it, 
it really does like strike me like god if if everyone could have just left him alone mm -hmm. he really could have probably been way better off um but yeah i'm trying to think of uh anything else um i totally uh i one thing i completely forgot about i forgot that the stripper that he goes after is the stripper that ends up immediately moving in with freeman mm. which that fucking that threw me for a complete loop i was like i completely forgot that is who his freeman's like fucking girl ends up being like like his uh i don't know it's just it it's 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 so funny um yeah but yeah, man, what a it, like his 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 whole growth from the the teaching the boys chess in the in the in the pit to just how how much he bucks up against Avon and Stringer and when his mom comes in and fucking like just completely ruins him when he's thinking about turning states. Yeah. And like I don't know. We'll we'll talk about Bunk later too, but when Bunk fucking tricks his ass in the in the fucking confession and gets him to feel all this remorse for this, you know, this family man who yeah. was murdered and it's just like Bunk was just showing pictures of his family. Yep. <laughs> it's just but so dirty. So right. dirty. But he like knowing that there were some people that that wouldn't matter and wouldn't work on, but the D'Angelo was, you know, empathetic enough, enough. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, enough. that, that, that would motivate something. I think, um, I mean, that makes me want to, do you want to trade off here? Yes. Like, uh, I, I figured we talk about Wallace next. That is exactly um, who I was going to go to. That makes me want to think about I do want to say one thing. I'm pretty sure that scene when, uh, to, connect this from away from our our common steve earl interest and into our common hardcore interest pretty sure in that scene where d'angelo is brought in for questioning a kid walks by in a stout shirt dude that would be the most baltimore thing ever i'm and pretty I have to... sure i think it's stout <laughs> but i'm I mean, pretty sure a kid's wearing a stout shirt and he's getting like walked into the the, oh, the detective's pit i gotta look at that again and cool. I guarantee too, if this show had been made 10 years later, there would have been, been TUI shirt. multiple TUI references <laughs> and justice would have made an appearance at some point. Probably. Yeah. Um, so it was just a little too early for that. Mm -hmm. um, I really want to check for that stout shirt, man. Baltimore rules. Yeah, um, let's talk about Wallace. Yeah. So I, th there's a connection there to Wallace, not just because of, you know, D'Angelo, you know, ends up in a position of like, pleading fatherhood. for his yeah fatherhood but like yeah. begging for his life you know what i mean and like you know trying to reassure stringer to not have wallace killed but like he is like there's a, just a fascinating contrast that they set up in season one between wallace and Bodie, right yep and it's like two kids who were you know along with poot like born here like the 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 low rises are where they come from and where they are and no matter how much they're actively pursuing it or not they're going to be involved and I, to me i think one of the the more compelling things 
about Wallace's story. Well, one, just to zoom out for a second, like what a preview it gives of the amazing actor that Michael B. Jordan would be that Unreal. he gave, gave this performance so young, mm -hmm. um, was amazing. Um, and so, yeah, if, you know, for anybody that's not familiar and has seen so much of Michael B. Jordan's later work, he plays Wallace, um, here, but also the way that the police just completely threw him away. Like, you know, they he, he, get him to collaborate, yeah. right? And then are so, you know, send him away to, to live with his grandmother to sort of like keep him safe until the trial because he's a, you know, a, a witness that has been working with them um, and had revealed, you know, that Stringer was involved in killing Omar's boyfriend. Yep. And like he gets bored out there and wants to come back and all, you know, Presbo had to do was pick up the goddamn phone um, and either, you know, keep him from coming back or make some arrangements. But like none of the cops follow up. They're very, they're distracted because Greg's is injured. Um, and just aren't thinking about him at all beyond like the information that they could get. And so he comes back um, and Stringer puts a hit on him and, you know, he fucking, you know, what, who, who the, the two who were his best friends murder him. Um, and I think there's like, you know, not to get too cliched, but like that, the, the scene, like the actual killing scene, like of them, like walking up the stairs together mm -hmm. and he really, he really has no idea what's about to happen. Yeah. There are like, you know, so many other hits and things like that throughout where like, you know, a person is suspicious or they're on edge and Wallace is just there with his friends. Um, he was way never too trusting, yeah. way too trusting and just was never built for this life. No. Um, and you can tell the way he gets, feels guilty over just getting Brandon killed. Yeah. Right. Even like not actively trying to. Right. Yeah. Um, like, you know, cause there was like, you know, early on they show things like he, he's, he's helping to take care of the younger kids in the, the project. I have that when, scene written. The morning yeah, routine is the morning routine. That well, is one of the saddest things I've ever seen in a show when he's supposed to be you know, on a lookout, he was playing with toys. He's a kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he, ne and who never actually got the chance to be the kid that he was and deserved to be. Um, and so it's just like, you find these like circumstances, right. That lead to that moment where like choices were made and like Bodhi and Poot are clearly making their choice. Um, and it's just, like gut wrenching, you know, it was even early on in the show at the time that I was watching it. And even like looking back on it now, um, how much they were able to pack into like a relatively short stint yeah. in, in, in the show. Um, yeah, with, no, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, he's still like the number one, most shocking death in a, in a television show. Like he's like in, in all of those like top 10 lists or whatever is like, Wallace getting killed and it like made so many people upset apparently when they killed him and 
me watching it, I was like, I was, of course, upset because I loved Michael B. Jordan. This is after we've watched Friday Night Lights. So um, mm -hmm. I'm like full Michael B. Jordan head at that point. Like we'll watch anything he's in more or less. Um, and so I was like certainly upset. But then in rewatching The Wire, I was like, oh, they had to kill Wallace. To say what they were saying with the show. Yeah. Like, it I wasn't mean, like, like, of course they were going to kill Wallace. <laughs> I mean, that was the, that was the game. That was yeah. how the game was played. Like, um, and yeah, and, and you know, connecting back to D'Angelo, he was deeply upset and, you know, it was a, it was a wedge between him and Stringer. I mean, they had to hide like, it from D'Angelo for yeah, a while. Right. Um, because he was so just upset about it and 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 it reassured for d'angelo too that like this this lifestyle and this game was not something that he ever really wanted to wanted be a part either. of yeah. so um yeah but, that's uh, why i picked wallace yeah well and speaking of uh you know you talking about wallace the person who pulled the one of the triggers on him uh let's move on to bodie mm -hmm. um this kid is such a fucking good actor dude Yes. Unreal. He's he's one of the strongest characters, I think, through the whole thing. Um, and I think he he's so he is so um effectively like like I don't know disconnected from his feelings and emotions, like this arrest this state of arrested development that mm -hmm. he's in, because he's sixteen when the show starts is how old Bodhi's supposed to be. But, um, but also he's just so smart. Mm -hmm. He's so fucking smart. He is, um, it, Wallace. I feel like D'Angelo represents the, the collision of Wallace and Bodhi. Like if you could split D'Angelo into two people and take all of the, the emotive, like, um, um, I don't know, compassionate parts of D'Angelo and isolate all of the parts of him that, you know, are good at the game and know how, the rules and are is willing to pull the trigger when, you know, when he's disrespected. If you could completely separate those two things, I think Bodhi represents D'Angelo without the compassion, just the calculation, even though he's not that's even though he's not like, you know, money's green. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like money, money looks like money. Like he's he's not like he's not like that. He's not like that kind of intelligent. But when, you know, when he's given orders, he follows them when he he understands why things are going like, I mean, they're smart enough to do the fucking code shit. Like at the point when you realize like how like how clever mm -hmm. their code stuff is. I mean, because it takes them so long to break it. Um, I don't know. I just think like th they do a lot in this season to kind of give you the foreshadowing of how capable Bodhi is from him. Just, you know, remembering Omar's name. He's in a fucking yeah. he's in a intense situation. He's just watched somebody get their knee blown out. And rather than be traumatized by the situation, he's hyper aware. He remembers the name. He could describe the van. Like, yeah, yeah. Like he's in, but then also just how, dude, when he beats Johnny Weeks, dude, 
the way they beat Johnny Downey is so brutal. Like, and you see that D'Angelo's like, fuck. Right. And you this is what I've made these kids do. Well, and there's a like a in a way, it's like D'Angelo, yes, like, you know, bears that responsibility, but you know, there's the connection there too, because D'Angelo's trying to like advocate for like uh, let's let's treat our customers decently, right? And Bodie, like, even though you know, this is how he's folks' addiction is how he's making money, um, has deep contempt for the addicts that buy from them, and mainly due to coming from an addict family. Um, yeah, like references to like you know he was neglected because his mother was an addict, and so it's like easy for him to then like take that out um, if 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 one of the customers steps out of line. You know, yeah, because he's I mean, he he he's done the he's effectively um, dehumanized the customer base to a certain degree. Where they aren't they aren't real people like he is mm -hmm. in his head, which is uh, I mean, it's David Simon and uh, Ed Burns, just very effective crafting of this this character to make perfect fucking sense. Um, I did have a couple things that uh, like beats for Bodie's character in the season that are just rock in the raid when he decks that cop in the face. Mm -hmm. I could just watch that on a fucking loop, dude. That part fucking rocks. <laughs> he eats shit so hard, so good. And <laughs> and then it's it. I mean, you know, after catching beatings himself, it's not much longer later that like Carver and Herc can't help but like bro down with him. Yeah, dude. Pool, the pool right? scene. Yeah, the pool scene is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. it's so good and it's so it's so Bodhi is so instrumental in softening Carver up too because we're in talking about how Bodhi's dehumanized the clientele with you know how brutally he's able to treat Johnny and also how they're able to you know sell these you know this poison to so many people who are clearly hurting um uh Carver is able to move a little bit away from viewing himself as an occupational force. Yeah. Via him starting to see one of these, you know, criminals as a person, as a kid. Right. Like car instrumental in Carver's development, who ends up being one of the characters who has probably the, the like widest, arc over the course yes. of the series from start to finish he is yeah. he's probably the 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 largest movement but uh but yeah um and also the one one last Bo bodhi hit that i had was dude when he walks out of juvie and they show just how fucking clearly easy it is for these kids to just walk the fuck out of these situations yeah. it reminded me of idiocracy when he's in the line to go into prison and he's like i'm actually supposed to be getting out of prison <laughs> you're like you're in the wrong line dummy <laughs> it's so good like they're just like yo mop this hallway and then just walk away <laughs> he's like well the door's right there dude and when carver and her keep seeing him free dude and being like, what the fuck? And they beat the shit out of him again. And then they find they're, him again. And they're like, oh, you're actually out because you won. Right. <laughs> I mean, they they become like comic relief at that point. You know, oh, like yeah. those two bumbling cops like going around that are like, yeah, you can beat somebody up, but you actually have no power at all yeah. over the mm -hmm. situation. Right. So, yeah, you can. Um, yeah. 
Well, we got one more, one more uh, uh, enforcer uh, to talk about uh, before we want to move on to the the cops section of season one. And let's let's talk about WeeBay. Let's talk about WeeBay. He's got to be the most famous wire meme, right? Yeah, the like, oh, yeah. Meme. More people yeah. know that meme than have watched the wire for sure. For sure, and I'll admit, I mean, I'm I'm curious to hear this now. I think some of WeeBay's development. I take a little more of an interest in like later. Oh yeah. Um, especially that's where the development actually happens. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a father, you know, and yeah. those types of things, but yeah. What is, what are your impressions of WeeBay in season one? He, one, one thing I, when looking into this and, and re reading about it and whatnot, he's the only character to survive a one-on-one -on -one with Omar. Huh. I hadn't put that together. He's the only one, and he gets one over on Omar. Mm -hmm. Um, and but yeah, I was like, I when reading that, I was like, oh my god, that's fucking right. Not a single person in one on one survives Omar, I mean, unless Omar lets him, like uh, a choice you had. Um, right, he like, took so what he took one in the leg, but he didn't. Yeah, yeah. he didn't. Die. Yeah, and uh, and and made Omar retreat. Mm -hmm. Omar had to get out, get out of there. But yeah, that's uh, that that is one one beat that I think, and, and it happens in season one. Like that's that's crazy because from then on, Omar is just an unstoppable force. Um, but uh, the only uh, one one of the things I, uh, I I wrote down just in thinking about Weebay and how he is in the first season, when people say they have shooters, this is who they wish they had, because <laughs> he is just down he is yeah. just down no questions asked he will do the bad thing he feels nothing for it he is um he is cold-blooded he's funny but he is he is absolutely cold-blooded he will do whatever he will he it, it, it he is in the game and knows mm -hmm. all the rules and is gonna play it um and i like I think I want to talk about him just because of the meme ability of him and the fact that he, I think, is so representative of what people think of when they think of The Wire now. Yeah. But in this first season, Weebay sucks so fucking much at the same time. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, because you were talking, too, about like, you know, we could define these folks as the criminals. Some of them are just doing what they got to do to survive in their circumstances. Weebay is an actual sociopath. Like, yes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's like, a rapist. He is, yeah. he is a rapist. He is a murderer. Yeah. Like he is, he is all these things. But then at the same time, he is so capable to maneuver and exist in this world. And has such complete loyalty to the Barksdale organization. Like, you know, can, confesses to murders he didn't commit because um, why not yeah i'm already looking at life yeah why not yeah it's amazing too how he's he's so capable and in some ways like you know so smart and wise to the game but the way that carver got him out of the house was so fucking yeah. simple so <laughs> stupid yeah <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yep. uh, yeah, I can see so many other people being like, ah, that's a trap. You're just going to have to take the L on your car windows, dude. And he was like, he came right out, right into nah, the He hands. had to, the disrespect. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Can't abide that. Because what mm-hmm. if you what if you what if you what happens if you let that happen? I mean, it's it's very much it's funny because it's very much broken windows theory, like literally. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Go after the small stuff and you'll get the big fish. Well, hey, it worked there. <laughs> um, but yeah. All right. Well, we're done with the hoppers. Let's move on to the coppers. Yeah. Let's talk about Daniels. Let's talk about pick. Daniels. Yeah. I mean, again, I think. I, some of the folks I picked, it's like, you know, there's a combination of who the character was, what they meant to the series, what they meant for me, but similar to Michael B. Jordan's performance as Wallace, like you can't talk about Daniels without talking about Lance Reddick, rest in peace. Straight Um, up, dude. And, you know, he just, I mean, we're just barely, I think in March coming up on a year since he passed away. Um, from Baltimore originally to Lance Reddick was. Oh, damn it. Um, yeah. So he is interesting because, you know, in, in addition to being like, it's so well acted, he, he does all these things to like, you know, he, he, he has this front of, he's a, he's a super competent policeman, like, you know, and like supervisor and leader. And, as someone who's moved up the ranks is supposed to be like playing these games. Right. Mm -hmm. And in some ways he does like he sticks up for his stupid crew. Like, you know, when, when Hurricane Carver and Prez get drunk and like, you know, go on this like ill-advised raid, um, he, he defends them. You know, he like does the, the classic like thin blue line, fallen line, you know, even though he's, privately furious at them he defends their behavior but then when he's supposed to do things like go with his wife to like these political fundraisers and things like that right he ends up hiding in the kitchen like chatting doesn't fit yeah chatting with the chauffeurs right rather than doing like the hobnobbing that he's Mm -hmm. supposed to do um yeah there's an and you know and there's almost an interesting connection there to um even though it comes up much later and from the other side like where marlo ends up later in the series oh yeah you know what i mean where it's Mm -hmm. like there's you know just about like whether you're on the side of like the quote criminals or the cops you don't fit in that world you don't fit like there's a certain thing they have Mm -hmm. you know or like the you know the multiple scenes where it's like they go to like a fancy steakhouse and people are weirded out you know by like being around that. And so I think mm-hmm. um, he also, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I have trouble like keeping this all to season one. So that's what I'm like trying to do right now. Um, because again, his, not even so much his character, but also his just like the way his story moves so much over the course of like um, the series. I think there's like, Season There's, one is basically the rivalry with him and Burrell, where Burrell sees yeah. him so much as a threat to his job. Yeah. That and, be, because he's so capable and and, it, and and obviously more deserving of the position than right. Burrell is. And is get you know, and so like purposefully, as he's been, you know, put in charge of this like Barksdale detail, is like trying to give him the worst cops. Yep. You know, only he has to like negotiate to get Sidner. Um but Sidner like rocks. Yeah. 
Absolutely. But, it, you know, interestingly enough, like, you know, he, he proves himself to be this like super capable leader and like leader. And he's not even that good of a detective. No, but he knows he's how to like really good at supporting. Right. And he, he gets, he gets buy-in from like his dudes, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like a, like a, like a good coach, but because it's like the way the season ends, right. It's because like, he's, he had been due for this promotion to major, but he doesn't end up getting it. And he ends up instead getting punished. And you'll find out later, like assigned to like the evidence room yeah. basically. Um, because he pissed off the wrong people in power, but he won like the deep respect of the people who are working on his detail. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, in this, in this investigation via empowering his subordinates and backing them up when, when they're right or wrong, um, you know, making that gamble, they find out this Barksdale shit goes so much deeper and it's got yeah. all these tendrils digging into the world that can't be shaken up. Right. And I think it would probably make sense to go next to Freeman. If that's cool. That is you. who I have next. Yeah, because I, I make that connection, right? Because another example here of like this detective that had been like basically thrown away. Benched. Benched, you know, dealing with pawn shops for the last decade plus and nobody expected anything of him and thinking he was just going to like take up space until retirement. And Daniels is able to get out of him that he's actually like one of the most brilliant investigators they have. Yeah, I mean, dude, first thing he does, he finds Avon's photo. Yeah. Finds out he's a golden glove and is like, I'm just going to go hit the boxing gyms. I bet I can find a poster from when he used to fight. Boom, picture of Avon Barksdale. They've been looking for this for weeks. Yep. They're about to shut down the investigation because <laughs> they just don't even know what the guy looks like. Amazing. And uh, dude, the whole story when they're like, look, when they find the picture of Avon Barksdale... And it's like, that's, there's no fucking way that can be that person. Yep, like that's they, he just had someone else take his photo for that, uh, that, uh, tower or whatever, that, um, tenement building that they photographed everybody. He, Avon was smart enough to send somebody in his place to have their photo taken. So he wouldn't have a photo of himself because he from forever has been just this prince of, of just knowing the game and knowing yep. the right things to do because he was most likely in just at the same age as Bodie and Wallace, but he mm -hmm. was just so much more capable. But yeah, Freeman thinks to to find the picture of Avon. Dude, the payphone game. When Freeman finds the number and figures out, oh, they're these things all like connect with mm -hmm. these these pager numbers are like their directions to call from a different phone and whatnot like dude just all the different things where he just is so much more astute than all of these other uh all these other um these detectives one, one the my my closing <laughs> thought on freeman is freeman is why the surveillance state is scary yeah i totally <laughs> Yeah, I can totally see that. Because the other interesting thing too is like he it 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 also makes a statement just about how completely you know ineffective this system is, right? Cuz like yeah. even when, you know, if if the police are actually, you know, serving the function that 
on paper claim. they're purported yeah. to serve, right? And like solving violent crimes, getting dangerous people off the streets. When you have someone who would, who's actually capable of doing that, um, you, and you know, this happens multiple times. Freeman is one of the biggest examples. Like you punish them because they pissed off the wrong person like yep. early enough, you know, like for, you know, political reasons. Um, you know. it's all politics. That's right. the thing that you realize is the police is all politics actually. Oh uh, yeah. Absolutely. It has nothing to do with crime. It has nothing to do with nothing at all. And like in, in ways big and small, I mean, hell in the New York times just last week, there was an article about this, like, you know, traffic cop from Staten Island, normally not a figure that I would be super sympathetic with, but just about how, like, when someone was driving super recklessly, um, he insisted on pulling them over and giving them a ticket. And then it turns out they're like the niece of some like higher up and they've like, you know, legit made his life hell ever since then for attempting to do the, the, job. the, the few the things, job he, yeah, the right. Few that, things he actually should do. Yeah. Like somebody, it's like, you're going to fucking kill somebody driving like this. Like here's a hundred dollar ticket and you know, nope, let's ruin your life. You know, like that kind of shit. So um, yeah, it's, it's endemic and it's, it's just, it speaks to the brilliance of the show, the way that they're able to like, show that but without like beating you over the head with it they mm -hmm. do it through storytelling and character yeah. development not like preaching you yeah. know and i think from freeman a good transition would be to prez his sidekick that's the his next si person i have on right. the list <laughs> because almost the same way that daniels was able to get out of freeman like oh you're actually a super capable detective freeman was able to unlock in prez like you're not just some Nepo you know, baby. Yeah, Nepo baby, <laughs> drunk, dumbass shithead. You're actually pretty smart and have a head for puzzles mm -hmm. and numbers and things like that. Um, and it comes with Freeman's influence that we're able yeah. to see that Prez can actually do good work and be more than the piece of shit that he is and has been and, and will continue to be in many ways. Yeah. Um, he also has no business on in the field. No, and, and they, know, they they well, they correctly. <laughs> yeah, well, well, later, yeah, later admits explicitly that he didn't. But he's, you know, his his father in law is Valchek, one of the bigger pieces of shit through, um, absolutely through the entire series. A catalyst of evil. Yeah, like it. it <laughs> Not even in many ways, like not even somebody I want to discuss even as a character, just because I have so much contempt for his fucking face. Yes. Um, Very punchable like, face, if you will. Oh, absolutely. And he does get punched at one point. Um, but, uh, you know, so like he's just, it, 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 it shows kind of like this dude who's actually pretty smart and you'll find out later, like has the ability to like care a lot about other human beings but like cop culture and being from a cop family has just made him into a scumbag. Yep. Um, and he's so hateable in the first, in the first oh, half yeah. of the first season, man. I could have never predicted the arc that, that he would have throughout the entire series. But yeah, we, you know, we, the, some of the earliest, you know, things we find out about him is like, well, 
you know, first he had been assigned to like traffic, right. And shot up his own car and in a panic Forgot and like, about that part. Yeah. Like, like that's how he, he gets dumped into Daniel's yep. thing in the first place is they're just trying to figure out, well, we can't fire this motherfucker because he's the, you know, com he's a commander's in yeah. son-in-law. Um, but you know, he, he shot up his own car in a panic and then lied about it. Um, so where are we going to put him? And then is like showing up to work drunk. He is showing off his gun and it showing, go, his loaded gun gun goes off. Um, part of like, you know, the ill-advised shenanigans with Herc and Carver. Um, blinds that kid. Yeah. Blinds a kid um, by like, fucking he hits him with the pistol, he like whip. pistol whips yeah. him right yeah. yeah and and blinds a kid and is indirectly responsible for wallace's death yep. um because if he had picked up the fucking phone he could have been like if nothing else been like it is not safe for you to come back here yep. kid like you need to stay down there um but just ignored him and so yeah total piece of shit in season one and, he does and crack the code though he does crack the code and prez is one of the I think he's the only character we shared in our list. Is that correct? Yes. Prez is the only character we Which, shared. Which, I mean, we'll have... There's shit with him from, I think, every season. So we'll have plenty more to say about him. Oh, yeah. And different things every season. Because yes. he's, he's such a different character in every season. He's yes, he's all over the fucking map. <laughs> um, you want to do the bunker Carver next? Um, let's do Carver. I'll Tweedledee and Tweedledum. I know. That's the first the first season. He is he is the Tweedledee to Herc's Tweedledum. Yeah, it is. Um, he sucks so fucking much, and he is such a just a stock cop. Yep, just fresh out of the box. Well, and, and sorry not to interrupt, but You're like good. stock cop. But I think the 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 interesting like. You know, the Tweedledee, Tweedledum, like him and Herc's partnership. It's fascinating because like Herc is like a white meathead cop mm -hmm. who's like the stereotype. Like, of course, he's going to be like a racist asshole going around. And like Carver is a black dude from Baltimore. Yeah. But like holds so much contempt for the, you know, the the people around him that he views as different than him. And then there's just a whole lot of like, like you know, y'all are just pieces of shit. Why couldn't you, you know, I, why couldn't you do what I did? Do what I did. Right. And yeah. so that, that's, a, that resentment motivates a lot of him in season one and all, through a lot of the early parts of the series and him just being like such a shithead, like he's a shithead cop, like yeah. dumb, dumb and aggressive. Dumb to violence. Yeah. 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 Dumb and aggressive, <laughs> uh, rip and run. That's all he wants mm -hmm. to do. And, um, yeah, I mean, really his whole thing, um, his whole thing this 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 whole season is just like the, his growth is his relationship with Bodie and the way that kind of softens him up but also his willingness to spy for Burrell mm -hmm. which shows his also adeptness with playing the politics yeah and the way he gets sergeant at the end the over Herc even though Herc scored higher than him mm -hmm over just because of the shit that he pulls with the detail mm -hmm. is it's so fucking shitty, but damn, it is so perfectly setting up where he is in the next season. Mm -hmm. And I just, 
I think that Carver has such Carver's got such good closing beats every season that lead to like, and he picks up right where he left off that, that last season that I, I just had to pick Carver mostly because I wanted to talk about where he is later. Yeah. But to talk about him in this season, just the pool game and the car, the lifts he gives to Bodie are about the only times in this season where I actually fucking like him at all. Mm-hmm. Cause the rest of the time he's backstabbing Daniels or he's beating the shit out of somebody for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. yep yeah. Yep. Let's uh let's close on the cops and talk about the bunk. Yeah. So bunk man, like he Wendell is, Pierce, dude. Wendell Pierce, again, another like phenomenal actor who and again, like so many others from uh from the wire, like David Simon kept him around with Treme. Um so good in Treme. Where you know, and again, he's from New Orleans and there were so many like awesome connections of the character he plays there. I think about a lot about bunk in the first season. Cause like he's presented in some ways, right. As this, like he's the balance to, to McNulty, right. Yes. He's got a, he's, he's a no nonsense cop, but he's not an asshole. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? He's like, he, he follows orders. Um, he's, he's, consistent he's thorough with his police work like i said so much of at the beginning is like you know he took the call from homicide even though it wasn't his turn like yeah. and like and you know mcnulty like ragged on him for it but like that's just who he was like mm -hmm. even if, even while he would be like god damn it and mad about it yeah um he was gonna do what he was supposed to do to like please the higher-ups and do quote like good police work um that's the other thing. Before I watched The Wire, I had never heard the way that cops talk about themselves. Like, he's good police. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's something that just comes up again and again that I found later is like widespread across the country, not just a Baltimore thing. Um, but we also learn like Bunk is just as much of a fucking mess as all the others. Yeah. Because the the you know one he's of driving the, drunk he's... he's he's driving drunk. McNulty has to come pick him up when he's like cheating on his wife at some random woman's yeah. house and has fucking burned his clothes, <laughs> like <laughs> to, to try to you know so so there's no smell that his wife could find out about later. Um, but I think there's you know again he's another character that he stays consistent in many ways over the course of the series, especially mm -hmm. to sort of like the way he counterbalances McNulty um, and Freeman later as well. Yep. But like, there's so much about the way his story develops. Like I'm excited later on to talk about the way he connects with Omar in ways that nobody else was able to. Yeah, um, no, it's, um, he's, he's great in it. Um, I, yeah, I've, this is, I think the first thing I ever saw Wendell Pierce in Mm -hmm. so like everything I've seen him in other than this is just met the expectation I had for his caliber of acting. Yes. But, um, but yeah, man, bunk is bunk's a great character. He's so funny. He's got in, they, he's, he's a part of one of the funniest season or one of the funniest scenes in this whole season, the motherfucker scene. Yeah, it is. <laughs> It is perfect television. No notes. It's so good, dude. It's so good, man. I uh, in in the research for this, I watched a video of God. I'm fucking blanking on the guy who plays McNulty's name right now. 
Dominic um, Dominic West. West. Yeah. Um, I watched a clip of Dominic West and Wendell Pierce talking about being pitched the motherfucker scene mm -hmm. and by David Simon and him like explaining like you guys are gonna walk around and all you're gonna say is fuck. And like they were both just talking about like how brilliant of a scene that is that like they were able to do it so give so much meaning. Yeah. To just saying fuck over it's and over iconic. Again. Like it's one of the things as much as, you know, I, I was talking to Tyler, like it's been a while since I've given like a proper watch through to the wire, but I will never forget that scene. It's so um, fucking good. But yeah, yeah, no, dude, Bunk's awesome. I, uh, I was happy you picked him just so we could talk about the motherfucker scene because <laughs> that was going to be in now at, at the end, when this is all said and done, we're going to talk our favorite Omar and our favorite McNulty moment, at least to get those out of the way. But, um, I, I would have been I would have brought that up if we didn't if you didn't pick bunk I would have picked the mother but now I get to pick something else for my favorite McNulty scene because you we get to talk about the motherfucker scene because <laughs> you picked bunk so I'm very yeah. blessed for that so uh, let's close on the on the 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 politicians and let's talk Clay Davis God what a piece of shit Clay Davis is shit what a piece she, of shit shit <laughs> yeah I mean. I pick Clay Davis because he is he's probably the most flat character in the entire show. He's consistent. Like nothing no moral struggle, no like inner thing. Like mm -hmm. you know he's and I found out also doing some research for this was inspired by a real life yep. Maryland state senator. Um, you know, and David Simon said many times like eh, people from Baltimore will know who it is. Like from <laughs> from hearing him talk, you know. Um but just, you know, stuff that happens right off the bat is like he's found with Barksdale money from the start. Yeah, $20,000. $20,000, but it's like what punishment there would be, his driver takes the fall for, and then Burrell gets the case dropped. Yep. Anyway, so, you know, but, but so is, is, is like um, the most, like, if anything, if, if, Clay Davis wasn't so well acted by um, said Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Um, like he would almost be too much of a caricature. Yes. Right. Because he is like the, the essence of corruption and just yes. un, unrepentant knows he can't be touched. You know what I mean? So anytime some graft personified. Yeah. Like, you know, you're, of of course, of course, people are bribing me. Why wouldn't I? That's what I'm. That's why I'm a politician. politician. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, this is how the game is played, and like, um, so just so brash with it. Yeah, and 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 stays that way <laughs> through, yeah, through no, the rest of the series. Not, yeah, undeterred. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't he be? The nothing, nothing ever tells him he needs to change. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, um. I do think like this first season though, Clay Davis serves a a very big purpose of teaching Daniels where the third rail is. Mm. Yeah. Like he knows not to touch that now. He knows what that will result in. And if he's gonna come for that, he needs to be in a better position to not be shut down. That's right. Cause yeah, it's like you came looking 
and you had clear evidence of what I was doing yep. and I got your boss to just like make it go away. Yep. So like he that. now knows that the only way you can go after that is from a higher position of power, which um, is crazy. It's 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 the wire is one of the is a fun show of watching people come to an understanding of the way the world is in their forties. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's it's fun because it's almost like like especially like it's it's fun to imagine like. Daniels has been maneuvering and doing this job forever. He's gone through his Carver era. He's gone through, like, he's done all these different things. He's moved up, yet he never learned that Clay Davis is the most corrupt politician in Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's I'd never thought of it that way. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I think about that all the time. I think, like, the, the the you know, my view of this, I'm like, really? These characters just found out about this today, I guess. Yeah. I would assume you just know this from being alive. Like, um, but then again, like sometimes, you know, I'll learn something about somebody in Louisville. Like just recently, well, uh, a state senator in Kentucky is in some shit because he in proposed a bill to to tighten the um like what is uh like tighten the penalty on um sexual assault and like molestation and whatnot in like incest mm -hmm. in kentucky but crossed out first cousin in the process of doing this so like made it like a more punishable thing if like a stepfather or like a mother or father or brother or sister do it but made first cousin a-okay yeah <laughs> just you know uh Kentucky, man. Um, Stay with your chest, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Very good. Thanks for. Um, I mean, I'm you know proud to I, be your your neighbor from the south. Yeah, um, learned about that this well, morning. Actually, it's interesting though too because it's it's like we get the benefit as the viewer of you know here's English teacher Brian here like you know we're in the omniscient third person so we get to see like all of we get to be the fly on the yeah. wall for all these things. But if you're like, you know, one of the cops, you've been doing your cop shit, whether you've it's affected. Yeah. Whether it's effective or not, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like you're not in the room when they're having yeah. those meetings, you're not in the room when the money is exchanging hands or whatever. So there's a, even though you might know a ton about how shit works on this corner, mm -hmm. there's still a ton of naivete about how the, the city and the, the corruption in that system works. Yeah, it's just fun how like what reality some people are shielded from, yet what mm -hmm. reality some people are um, forced to undergo. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, because I mean, I, I guarantee like a bunch of those guys on the corner knew Clay Davis mm -hmm. was corrupt as fuck. <laughs> yeah, and it'd be just a matter of fact, like, oh yeah, well, Stringer pays him. Yeah, yeah, and just just very matter of fact about it, yeah. you know. Look, yeah, very yeah. good. Um. But yeah, so I guess th that closes on our characters. Let's talk about our boy Waylon. Yeah, man. So, I mean, so we've... season one, episode seven is his first appearance at that at an NA meeting. At an NA meeting that Bu Bubbles and Johnny Weeks have to go to because Johnny Weeks gets picked up for possession. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, a, an impassioned speech by none other than our boy, uh, Mister Steve Earle. Powerful fucking speech, man. A, a really good speech. Like sound it, clippable. Sound clippable. I mean, you can find it's on YouTube. 
um, and it moves bubbles. And it's like, yes. it, it's, it's part of where you start to see his character development from frankly being almost again, a little bit of just like a, a the, the clown addict, yep. you know what I mean? Like in, in some of the earlier episodes, it's just like, yep. Pushing around a shopping cart, looking for copper wire, just like that kind of like shit, anything to get the fix to start to realize like there is a desire to get clean and like a, somebody who like wants to live underneath this and Waylon, he's like legitimately in, inspired by Waylon's speech. You know, yeah, he takes the chip even though he got, yeah. uh, he got turned up like 12 hours before or something like, or that morning or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, one of the lines he says that I just love so much is I got one more high, but I don't know if I got one more recovery. Yeah, man. And that is so fucking cool. I just love that. Do you know? I haven't. I didn't do research into this. So is is this is that all David Simon's writing, or did Steve get any like? I don't know. So, yeah, because you know, it, it sounds really like does seem like something Steve would say. Right. Exactly. And we know and a lot it, of it is like typical recovery stuff, like the yeah. you know my addictions out there doing push-ups on steroids. Like that is something that like I've seen other like um, art covering recovery yeah like, say so like a lot of it is the uh the cliches that are cliches for a reason right like there i could i would totally believe it if somebody told me they were like david simon just told him to get in there and run an a meeting yeah you know and didn't <laughs> give him lines like and that's yeah, what riff. he did like yeah riff like it's like yeah i've been to enough of these i can tell you what would happen here you know um, yeah god dude he's so he's so fucking cool man his whole swagger he's 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 such a fucking performer, man. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, but, it, uh, it it always makes me think too. Like I, I mean, Steve's continuously been so prolific with music touring and things like that. You know, like but he could have at a time made a choice and been like, I want to act more, and yeah. have done a lot more of that because it wasn't. You know, we've seen performances from like, you know, here's a musician here that were like stilted. <laughs> and not great steve can act you know like he yep. he could do it um so yeah yeah episode nine game day is the next one which is an awesome fucking episode period that's the episode where the the um all the crews get get together for the basketball game mm -hmm. but uh early in that episode um Bodie's throwing out samples at the line and Waylon's down there trying to get his nephew clean and actually introduces himself to Bubs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, what, what I wrote, because I, I literally, I tortured myself last night. Or last night or the night before, I can't remember. And I went through and watched every single Steve. Like, I fast-forwarded and watched every scene Steve's in in The Wire. Oh, wow. And um, that is, unfortunately, a very emotional journey. Even if you're only watching... 30 minutes of the wire fast forwarding mm -hmm. through because you're watching all of bubbles story arc which right. is hard <laughs> on your heart it really is um but uh he introduces himself to bubs and says all of the right things to him mm -hmm. literally says like you stood up didn't you like you like you know you thought about it you're you you were there like and he's like yeah he's like, he because bubs is trying to make all the excuses in the world to not like why he doesn't deserve to be clean mm -hmm. and uh and yeah it's just it's just awesome but uh 
if you don't got anything on that, we can talk about the last uh the last appearance he has, which is in episode ten yeah. of that season, where he meets with him in the car in the park after mm-hmm. Bubbles has stayed clean for three days. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, like uh they talk about Bubbles, you know, family or lack of there of it, and uh Waylon talks to him about his HIV. Mm-hmm. I mean, heavy. It's he, it's heavy. You said it. He's he's he makes limited appearances, and then after this, we don't see him again until season four. But yeah, truly, like, just it it it, it you can't have Bubbles' story arc without Waylon. Yeah, really no, no. He is pivotal in in yeah. He is the he is the the push of the snowball down the hill. Yeah, because I mean, um, Bubbles is a is a character that people remember, um, but without Waylon, that doesn't develop the way it did. Yeah, he it's 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 a really powerful story through all these seasons. I can't wait to talk more about it later. But uh, one of the things that they talk about on that bench is uh, they talk about forgiveness mm-hmm. a lot, and because um, Bubbles doesn't think anybody really can forgive him, and Waylon has the the thing that you got to say to him. Well, you got to forgive you too. And uh, man, because uh, Bubbles has been clean for a few days, the the last thing uh, the last thing Steve's or Waylon says to Bubbles is getting clean's the easy part. Now comes life. Yeah. Whew. Fuck. Yeah. Um. Goddamn, dude, we've been talking for so long about just season one. I don't know if we're gonna be able to do this in just two parts. I don't either, but I, th- you know, there's a, a lot of our folks are not in season know, two. In season two, or just with a very like, I think the only character we have that makes their first appearance in season two is Brother Muzone. Do you want to um, push on through season two, or do you need yeah. to pop off? No, I think we can push on through, and then we can pick up from there. All right, season um, two. I'm calling yeah. it on the waterfront. I mean, that's a that's right <laughs> on, but it's also a little on the nose, um, yeah. which I appreciate. Um, yeah, they you can't know, all I'm, be cops and hoppers. I'm well, sorry. <laughs> I know. I went back and forth right around like, should I pick any of the the doc character? You know, because Sabatka or you know, the Greek who shows up a little later, but you know, it's a they don't impact the whole story. As exactly. Well. Like this is the, you know, although the other storylines continue through mm-hmm. season two, this is the biggest turn that it takes. And you can just tell like in the series, now that we can go back and look at it as a whole, there was probably a little bit of like exploration going on of like, do where we, can we go with this? Where yeah. can we go with this? Right. And it's like, it makes, it's still super compelling stories and television. Pablo Schreiber is great in it. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know, the decision is clearly made as we go back to season three, like, no, the streets are actually where this is at. Yeah. Um, and they, they clean up, you know, the story from the docks very, very nicely, but yeah, like, very so, tidy at the end. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And well, some, speaking of so what? No, you go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of the streets, you want to jump into D'Angelo? Yeah. So, because this is the last we're going to talk about, D'Angelo. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, the things I got for his his beats is, you know, he starts using heroin because he's got to, he doesn't want to deal with this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, dude, the fucking 
the way the way D'Angelo's character in in through talking about D'Angelo this season, we can talk about how adept Avon is as an operator. Mm -hmm. The fact that he is able to like get the drugs tampered with to try to get to not only get the drugs tampered with to try to get D'Angelo to stop using him, yeah, but also to use that as his in to getting that guard that is assaulting Weebay mm -hmm. in trouble to get that guard punished and out. Avon's able to orchestrate this whole thing and you realize you're like, is the first season you're kind of led to believe that like Avon's the bully and Stringer's the smart guy. Right. And then Avon in season two, you're like, oh, Avon is like really fucking smart and capable too. Mm -hmm. Just different. Right. And way more brutal. Like Stringer <laughs> wants to go legit. legit. Yeah. But he will ruthlessly take care of anybody that he thinks is a threat to him being mm -hmm. able to go legit, right? Um, and without and, sometimes realizing how that's going to further down the line cause him an issue. Yeah. Stringer Did, thinks he's way smarter than he is in a lot of ways. Yes. And we find that out a lot in season three. In season three. Well, and I never made this connection until I was doing research for this. I don't know. Again, I keep saying on the nose. It's a little much... The guard that was harassing Weebay had the same last name as the middle school they all go to in season four. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. So there's almost something there like, is he a descendant of Edward Tillman? And like, you know, these are the people that play, a, you know, whether it's in prison or in the school, like the... The, the, they play their they role. They lock. They lock people up. They lock. They keep the system rolling. Right. Yeah. They're they're the enforcers of the of the of the status quo. Um, that is interesting. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with with that talking about D'Angelo, I mean, um, like, and and the Avon doing the whole thing to get back at the guard for you know fucking with WeeBay. We can knock WeeBay out. Yeah. Right, right, right alongside him because Weebay, all Weebay really does this season is be in jail. Um <laughs> or in, in in prison, I guess. But my the one thing I did read that I completely forgot about and then remembered is his fish obsession. Yes. And in the prison, he's got like little fake fish that he like like it's like his like comfort, his his therapy. Do you even realize that like even this like hard, like cold-blooded like operator enforcer he's got like this weird little quirk yeah everybody's yeah. got something they do yeah or we'll find out you know marlo later on has pigeons you know like yep totally but um, uh you want to talk uh brother muzone before we get it back into bodhi yeah um so brother muzone is you know he first appears and he was hired by Avon to protect his territory. Like basically prop Joe offers Stringer a deal. Avon is very skeptical about it at first as, as Stringer is, you know, like pitching him on it mm -hmm. in prison. Um, eventually agrees to it, but wants to make sure that there is a presence there um, that, you know, can like pr basically protect the territory. Um, he is like, again, it's, it's, it's interesting too, having also seen, um, Michael Potts in other things now. Um, what else is he in? 
he has, let me recognize his face. He's been in, um, what is the, I was thinking of one thing that he was in that I had seen more recently. Um, he was in an episode of Flight of the Concords that I really liked. He was oh, also yeah, dude, I haven't seen that in years. He was a he was in the second season of True Detective. Um Okay. You know, so he's like Oh, a, wait, I do rem I remember him in that now. Yeah, yeah. Now that so, you bring him up. Oh shit. Yeah. I guess I, I watched True Detective um like or that season so many years after watching because we, we watched all the True Detective seasons. I had seen the first one and I'd seen some of the second one and never finished it. Um, we watched all of True Detective during COVID. Mm. Um, yeah, so yeah. I totally forgot about him being Brother Muzone. Yeah. Um, so, and they never explicitly say that he is Nation of Islam. It's implied. But but it's clearly like implied, <laughs> right? Like the, the way he dresses, the way he speaks, mm -hmm. things like that. And just, there's just some of my, my favorite, you know, like non-doc scenes in season two, um, you know, like, because basically Stringer and Prop Joe have made these deals that let some of Prop Joe's dealers kind of infringe on the towers. Um, Muzone says that's not happening. Um, shoots cheese. <laughs> shoots cheese. Well, f shoots him first with uh, uh, like a rat shot. Yeah. And then says the next bullet <laughs> in the chamber is a hollow point. Of my, of my own design of my own design yeah <laughs> and that gets cheese right out of there and so um and then stringer you know who again we're seeing more of like him going from being like this kind of cool untouchable underboss like he sees muzon as a threat and so yeah. he gets a little crafty yeah it gets it convinces omar that that Muzone is responsible for killing his boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and Omar goes after him, shoots him, but Muzone, because he's so one, because he's telling the truth, but because yeah. he's so compelling mm -hmm. is able to make him realize like that he's telling the truth. And also like Stringer like, tricked you. Stringer tricked you. And also just making the like obvious connections like, yo, I kill people Omar, execution style. Right. Omar's boyfriend was tortured. I don't have yeah. time for that bullshit. I would yeah. have put one bullet through his head and then been done with it. Yeah. Um, so Omar calls an ambulance for him. He calls an ambulance <laughs> for yeah. him. It's so fucking awesome. Yeah. That scene, that, and, that might be my, the best Omar scene the whole season is when he calls the ambulance. Right. And I think too, it's, it's fascinating. Like in the moment, Muzone, like the last thing we see of him in this season is he inform stringer that their aggrievement is absolved yeah and he will be returning to new york like you know he could have immediately sought revenge mm -hmm. um but instead it's he's just not like, strong enough yet yeah like and so but, but it just shows too how like he's not going to act irrationally he's going to be like i'm not in a position to do this right now i'm going to do it when i'm fully recovered and ready so i'm just going to matter-of-factly tell him that we no longer have an agreement and i'm going to go home but you'll see me again um yeah. Yeah, and just yeah, I, I I'm excited to talk more about Muzone and yeah. just so three. quickly as he came. Yeah. And he's gone. That's uh, right. He's he's awesome. He fucking rules. Um but yeah, let's move on to Bodhi before we move on to the coppers. And mm -hmm. uh 
Bodie's moving up, man. He's he's basically just moving into D'Angelo's shoes. Yep. And he's taking the the situations that most likely D'Angelo was up for. He's taking he's taking D'Angelo's promotions. That's right. Now that now that D'Angelo's uh, away, and this one dude just goes to show how fucking ready and willing Bodie is to do what needs to be done, follow orders, starts running drugs, starts like becoming way more capable of responsibilities. And not only is he capable of the responsibilities, he's succeeding mm -hmm. in improving their financial gains. That's right. Which is just, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's it it just th this second season just like sharpens even more how capable of a a kid uh, of of a operator Bodie is that you know he's not like some of these guys like you know Weebay's an enforcer mm -hmm. Slim Charles is an operator Bodie is an operator mm -hmm. like some of them are just like guys who you know just are working a job. Those are dudes who are getting things done. They're organizers. They're, if you just could imagine them being put to some better. Oh God, I know they like could, could change the world, right? Straight and also, up, dude. still, what I think about Bodie in season two too, like still able to like outsmart the cops easily. You know, like yeah. Oh yeah, no. When they try to coerce the confession from him, and he's just like, no, yeah, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he just he just he just sits it out yeah he's just like no nah, i'm not nah, i know i know what you're trying to get me to do i'm not i'm not d'angelo yeah right you can't like a kid died mm. yeah like uh that's got nothing to do with me yeah. like totally he didn't mean for that to happen yeah but, but that happens mm -hmm. um but yeah in that like that's really all i've got on uh it also is just amazing to see like Putin Bodie coming up together and then fast forward second season Poot is a subordinate of Bodie now. Yes. Like but Poot is more or less in the place that D'Angelo was in. That's right. Poot's running the pit, but he's running the pit up to Bodie. Um but yeah, but uh before, I guess when we jumping over to cops we can Talking about the you know the gunfight that ends up killing the 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 episode stray bullets I'm pretty sure, um, one of my guys shows up, and that is Bunny Colvin. Mm -hmm. He is uh, he's introduced and he is just appalled. Yes, and I think that they do such a good job of giving you an idea of where he is at mentally mm -hmm. before he's going to come back in season three, and you're going to see him take active steps to try to avoid more tragedies like the one in the first scene you ever see him in that's right and like the voice of basically the only cop we ever see in the series who's like what the fuck are we doing yes <laughs> you know, immediately like, like yeah. some of them get there yeah but he's the one who's immediately like, this is not our, like, this is not what we are supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. Like, we're supposed to be, like, protecting these people, not just showing up when they're dead to put up some yellow tape. Yep. Yep. Um, 
but yeah, that's uh, that's all I really got on on Bunny Colvin. Uh, which one of the coppers you want to start with? Well, let's go over to Daniels then. Um, thinking of like supervisors. So as we begin season two, you know he's been reassigned to evidence, um, and he's thinking about quitting to become a lawyer. Um, but good old asshole Valchek, who remembers his you know acts of loyalty, yep. um, is personally targeting. Frank Sabatka, um, you know, for so many, re like, you know, pissed off at him for making a donation to a church in front yeah. of him and like shit like that. So, um, you know, like asks when, when they're, they're starting this like special detail to investigate Sabatka, Valchek, Valchek asks for him personally. Um, and, you know, he finds out later, right. That that's like, he Valchek like sort of traded that like, okay, Burrell, I'll support you, but you got to give me Daniels. And Daniels is wising up to the game a little bit, right? Like he's starting to realize, oh, I can use some leverage here. Mm -hmm. um, because in like season one, he was kind of completely overrun by the political aspect um, of, of all the, you know, police bureaucratic nonsense. And now he's starting to like, um, learn how to play the game a little bit better. Um, the other stuff that I think is notable is he plays a very similar role in that, like, um, BD Russell, who's like one of the port cops, right? Um, like Holly from the office, yeah, <laughs> Holly from the office, um, from, from the, from the Nashua office, uh, you know, makes an appearance here. Um, but the way he's able to, like, it's like the detectives perform their best under him. Yeah. Right. Cause she's the one who comes up with this idea of like cloning the computers mm -hmm. so that they can figure out like, Oh, there's they just certain. Yeah. They, that's where they link the Greek. Yeah. And there's, union. Oh, there's certain containers. They're just not even entering into the system, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I think the other stuff I'm, I'm, my notes here are like, well, Valchek eventually gets pissed off at Daniels when he learns that he's actually trying to investigate crimes rather than yeah. just like fuck you know, with the union, fuck with the union. Right. Which is what Valchek wanted him to do. Yeah. Um, Daniels like defends Prez again after Prez punches his father-in-law um, yeah, and gets him to convinces Valchek that he should just accept Prez's apology. Um, and go along with it. And I think, uh, yeah, I, he's, you know, sort of like at, at the end of it, because of the case that they were able to make, like, it seems like Daniels was disappointed with a lot, but he's like back in the department's good graces. Yeah. I mean, he, again. he gets what he wants since the major yeah. crimes unit being created yeah. because, because even if they didn't, even if because Sabaka got killed, yeah. um, they weren't able to actually bring anybody in. Because again, that, that I remember now, um, one of the things that that fucks things up is when they make that bust on the union and they hit Nick and they hit, uh, um, I can't remember if they hit Ziggy at the same time, mm -hmm. but they hit when Frank gets arrested and everything, and then Frank comes in and is willing to cooperate and whatnot. Um, all of the the Greek spots that they hit an FBI guy because the Valchek fucks up and gets the FBI involved and then forces them to make their whole raids. 
And once he tips the FBI off, someone tips the Greek off and he's able to, you know, dr- dump all their, uh, all their drugs and get rid of everything. So right. when their st- places get hit, there ain't nothing there. And they're even, I remember now I can specifically remember, I can't remember which of the cops is staking out the Greek spot, but they know they didn't leave. They didn't move anything. Mm-hmm. And then I think somebody realizes at some point they're looking at the drains and they're like, they dumped it. They just dumped it all down. Yeah. They didn't have to move it. They just got rid of it here. They just got rid of it. Literally and, like uh, washing yeah, it dude. down the drain. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right, dude. Daniels does learn how to play the game he, at the, you know, loses his marriage in the process, but he, you know, he learns how to play the game. Uh, dude, the Sabaka death is so fucking sad. Yeah. I love him. And he's, he's so awesome in true, in true blood, dude, that mm. actor. He rocks in True Blood. He's got one of my favorite arcs in the whole thing. Um, I feel like we don't even need to go over Prez, really, because the only thing he really does in the season is punches punches his father-in-law and just yeah. eat shit, loser. That part rocks. <laughs> it's interesting. It, it is like, even though it's like the behavior itself is just like still kind of like... Childish? Shit, yeah, shithead <laughs> cop being a shithead cop. The fact that he does it against his father-in-law and what his father-in-law represents is like the person keeping him in this box in this life that he actually never really wanted. It's like, in a way it's kind of symbolic of Prez's like first steps towards just being a different person than a shithead cop. Like, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that's using his shithead cop power for good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, speaking of shithead cops, somebody who continues to be kind of a shithead cop this season is uh, is Carver. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, Daniels won't treat him as a legitimate sergeant. I I do remember that. He still makes him report to Greg's. Yep. Um, which he hates. And he gets just, he gets nerfed and like, and um, God, what's, what's the, he gets neutered. He gets neutered in so yeah. many ways this season. And he like, cause he's so bad at it, dude. He's just so bad at all the things that like when they lose that tennis ball, mic that they spend all that money on. Yeah. It's so fucking funny. Um, and, but then you're like, dude, uh, one of the things I, I, I was, when I was doing the reading on this and I, I remembered when the, him, the, her and him are just having to do like chores for judges yeah. for the, but they don't see like the value in what they're doing. The fact that they're willing to go do this thing this like install an AC for a judge mm-hmm. because they're willing to do that. They're getting their wiretaps, which is allowing them to continue this investigation. They yeah. don't see the actual value in the work that they're doing. Cause all they, he wants to do at this point is rip and run. Yeah. And, um, and I think truly this is like, this is the lowest point for Carver's character in the whole series is the second season. He sucks the most, I think mm-hmm. because he doesn't have too many, it's all disillusionment. He's he's all, di- but he's not disillusioned in the way that like Bunny and Daniels and McNulty even get disillusioned. Where they're disillusioned, they're like, "Fuck this system! It needs to change." He's like, "Fuck this system! I want it to work for me." Yeah, and it's like, and I in in until he gets disillusioned in that, until he gets radicalized, he's not going to be cool. But he definitely mm-hmm. needed this this he needed to be broken down in this way in this season. And I think they do a great job of systematically doing that to him and Herc. Yes. And, and like one of them takes it a little differently. 
<laughs> well, that's the thing, like in, in kind of previewing like the 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 different pathways that that they would end up because at this point they're still even though like you know carver had played the game well enough to like become sergeant even though herc had the the higher exam score um they're still very much attached at the hip yeah at this point like bumbling and, along together yeah, right until they break away from each other they're never mm-hmm. gonna grow yeah um well yeah let's uh let's round it out with freeman and bunk then who you want yeah. first I'll do, we'll do Bunk um, because I mean, well, Bunk gets partnered with Freeman because McNulty's yep. been assigned to the, <laughs> to he the made, boat. <laughs> well, he, and he made the mistake of telling them what's the one place he didn't, wouldn't want to go, does. you know, because <laughs> the diesel fumes make him nauseous and seasick. Yep. So there he is out there on Marine duty. Um, but Bunk and Freeman are fucking badass, effective homicide detectives. So when they find, 14 unidentified women in a shipping container, they got to bring them in. Um, And I think like a lot of Bunk and Freeman, I mean, not to, we can talk about Freeman separately. A lot of their presence through this is really just doing effective police work. Yeah. Um, Oh, I mean the way they, they find the, uh, the, the, the Greeks trigger man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like track down the ship. Question the crew, found the Greeks trigger man. Um, and like even uh, the, I guess the the other the background stuff that keeps happening as Bunk and Freeman are working this port case is um, the the William Gant murder, which kind of started this all, um, which leads to the best scene in the entire show. Omar's testimony. Omar's testimony. That's right. Because he's like, we got to find Omar or they're going to drop the charges. And and let me the- tell you, anybody who says the se- that season two of The Wire sucks or is the worst season, fuck you. Yeah. Omar's testimony is in season two. <laughs> it is it- one of the funniest things <laughs> any television show I've ever seen. And it's interesting too, because like, yeah, we learn about Omar in season one and how terrifying he is and like all that kind of stuff. But like, it's not until he's on the, on the stand that we get so much more out of him there. Right. So, um, but yeah, there's a connection there. It's like Bunk gets McNulty to get Greg's, to get Bubbles, to get yeah, Omar back Mars. there, basically. Like, the, you know, it has to go all the way down that line or else... The chain of, like, command, or the chain of command, if you will. Yeah, yeah, or else Omar <laughs> doesn't show up to to testify. Um, so, yeah, that's that's bunk, and Freeman is along for a lot of that ride. Straight up, the photo for this episode needs to be Omar wearing the tie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like... I, I request that. But yeah, no, dude, that that's awesome. I did write one thing down. I wrote uh Sergei Malatov, the 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 Greeks trigger man who they 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 catch for this whole thing because they figure out that the, the guy who killed the girl was killed by this guy who the Greek guy. Like it is good police work. Like they yeah. catch the guy who killed the guy who killed the girl. That's right. <laughs> um but one of the I wrote down one of his lines from it, which is when someone questions him on some on someone else's death, he says, "Did he have hands? Did he have a face? Then it wasn't us, <laughs> idiot." 
which is so fucked up. It's so fucked up, but so spot I love on it. too, it's man. Fucking dude, that shit cracked me up. I remembered that scene as I was reading it. I was like, that is so fucking funny. I'm so glad somebody included this in this article writing about this. Man, um, I love that. But yeah, so, so I'm trying I, to think anything to talk about Freeman other than what we just did. No, I think all we have left here is Clay Davis. Cause, yeah, because Freeman literally included in everything we just said about Yeah, Bond. and a lot of, um, we have so many amazing characters get introduced in season three. But I think, I mean, rounding out season two for Clay Davis, scumbag gonna scumbag, basically, right? He takes the contributions from Sabaka and then yeah. just fucks him on the yeah, new pier. That's it, exactly. He says, he takes the donations, yep, I'm gonna help you. Um, I'm gonna vote to... Uh, construct a new peer it's going to be good for the union and then you see him Real later estate developers as, yep at the groundbreaking <laughs> for a fucking condo that's going to be built right on the docks where the pier would have been um so yeah those jobs all went bye-bye yeah and, uh, and it's the investig i love the investigations into the union yeah are what do it too so like valchek actually helps ruin jobs yeah in baltimore mm -hmm. by opening this bullshit investigation into the union who yeah. only connected themselves with the greek because they were so hard up on money right it's like it's so fascinating too right to show even though they are the the stevedore union dock workers and the fucking corner boys man in so many ways from different worlds but also in so many ways are still fucking beholden to like the same shit just to be able to survive. Just doing what you know? they need to survive. Yeah, no, dude. Yeah. It's so Davis truly does like, he truly does tell the most important part of each season story. I feel like in so mm. many ways, like whatever Clay Davis is involved in is the point of the season. Yeah. Like that <laughs> in is yeah. so many of these seasons. Like it's, it's, he, you're right. He is a caricature in a way. Right. Like all, because that's like all this stuff happened the drugs, the smuggling, the human trafficking, the murders, all these things. And at the end of the day, all that's going to be seen there is a fucking fancy new unaffordable condo. Yeah. And I did write, I was like, <laughs> I was like, the investigation spoiled this, but it probably would have happened anyway. <laughs> yeah. It was it, it, like it. They weren't going to build that Inev here. Inevitable, right? Yeah, you were the the developers were always going to be able to offer more incentive to corrupt politicians than the union was going to. So, um, yeah, man. All right, I, do we want to close out before getting into season three? Or yeah, we're going to have to just looking at time. But I'm I'm actually confident we can roll in the next one because you know we can just jump right in. You just jump right in. Yeah. Before we close, though. My most hated character happened this season. So just in season two? It's fucking Ziggy. It's Ziggy. Ah. I fucking hate Ziggy, dude. I hate Ziggy too, but I hate him so hated. much. From the showing his dick shit <laughs> to dealing with a guy named White Mike, another awful character. <laughs> yeah. What's we get the 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 other cultural importance of season two is that it introduces us to white trash Baltimore. Yes. In a different way. I learned what crab chips were. Um, like so many other 
like important thing. Like you, you'll understand uh, the Stavros Halkius, the comedian, a little bit more, um, and then and the Baltimore that he's from. So yeah, dude. But yeah, no, dude. Was... And one thing I wrote is when he kills the fence in season two, mm -hmm. it is it's the Wallace murder scene of season two. Yeah, where you just scream, no. Don't fucking do it, you idiot. Yeah, he sucks really bad. He sucks so fucking bad. Just like an, an absolute fucking wimp. Yeah. My, I still got to, for, for just the consistency of shitbaggery, Herc is the character I have the most contempt for. Because the, whole, the whole show? But Because he's able through a combination of both like direct and indirect malice. To ruin, yeah, well, he ruins so many so, people's he, lives. Yeah. yeah, he ruins so much. So damn. So that's going to be your least favorite at the end of this. I think so. I mean, you know, through he talking a, about he it, he does. He does a thing in the next season that pisses me off more than any, yeah. more almost more than any other decision anybody makes in the whole show. Yeah. So can't nah, wait to get to. I it. know what you're talking about. Well, friends, um, that was seasons one and two of The Wire, and hopefully you appreciated the character focused. Um, Steve Earl adjacent spin we took through that we're going to divide this into a two-parter and, and we'll kick off the next one and just jump right fucking into season three because there's so much to talk about there um, so when you walk through the garden yeah <laughs> dude oh my god shout out Tom Waits um, shout out the other Baltimore references he makes in his songs like clap hands steam steam 100 bad dreams rolling into Baltimore pistol in his jeans. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, he's writing these songs fucking 20 years before the show came out. And it's like, he knew yeah. <laughs> this was going to happen. Yeah. Um, all right, y'all appreciate you being along for this ride. Part two coming soon. Peace.